Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario. Welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. And in case you do not know, this is a podcast I try and do at least monthly here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel. It's available in two forms. First of all, of course, a video version that you might be watching right now here on YouTube, as well as a audio only version because this is, well, a podcast and you'll be able to listen to this like a podcast wherever you want to take it with you. Simply look up Mod Chat, all one word, on your favorite podcast podcasting app or platform and it should hopefully be there for you to listen to. Now before we get too far into this here, I do want to say yes, we are going to be doing gameplay a second time this month for the second episode of this month and I don't think there's going to be another episode, but either way, we're doing gameplay again for two reasons. One, I still have a bit more of GoldenEye 007 Xbox Live arcade footage that I can share with you all, so why not? And the second reason is that look, I hope anybody who is going through a cold front right now is staying warm staying safe, keeping themselves, their family, their friends, their pets safe, whoever might be dependent on you. Make sure everybody is warm and safe. That's actually what's happening right now. And do that. I'm trying to stay inside where it's nice and warm, but the room I'm in is quite hot right now. This is due to the window placement, due to all the electronics I have here. And I'll just be honest, I don't want to put on a hat, bring out my camera and uh, hook up a light and have it shining directly on me. Uh, nobody wants to see you super sweaty, Mr. Mario. You really don't need that. So uh, we're just going to be showing GoldenEye007 Xbox Live Arcade gameplay, which I think might be even better. Either way, it's a little bit fitting because we're going to be talking about pretty much nothing but games here. Well, okay, there's going to be like two topics that are going to be gaming related. Overwhelmingly, the majority of this month's topics are going to be gaming related directly about games. So let's just go ahead and jump into this and take a look at the first thing here. Now for our first topic here, this is about a Bloodborne 60 frames per second patch, which was released by YouTuber Lance McDonald, who is also known as a Bloodborne modder. At least that's how I had, you know, known of him here. Now, I've actually covered some of what he has done prior, which was really just the Bloodborne 60 frames per second patch. When he was still working on it and showing it in videos and talk with Digital Foundry, I've covered this in a previous video, but on February 9th, he actually ended up releasing a patch. This is available on his Patreon as a public post, so you don't have to be a Patreon subscriber here, although it certainly would not hurt if you enjoy the guy's work. But either way, we're looking at here, Bloodborne 60 frames per second homebrew patch release. I have built a utility that when applied to a copy of Bloodborne version 1.09, the latest update, will modify the game engine in a way that allows most of the gameplay logic to run at arbitrary update speeds increases the frame rate cap to 60 frames per second, and optionally lowers the rendering resolution to 1280 by 720. Make sure to decrypt your eboot.bin if needed, unself it as well. The file, when viewed in a hex editor, should start with elf and be exactly a certain amount of bytes in size here. And he also has a link to the utility that you can download as a zip archive. So this is very much you will need your own dump of the game. I believe the game of the year edition does work for this. If you have a jailbroken PS4, you can take that, you can dump it yourself, modify the game once you have all the raw files with the tools here, and then you'll be able to repack it and install it on your PS4 just fine. Now this video that Lance has is about four months old, and this is just his 60 frames per second patch showcase to unlock the frame rate on here. And there's 
was even a Digital Foundry video he did, which I had cited in a previous episode where he's talking with the fine folks over at Digital Foundry and really talks about the details and how just creating, hey, let's unlock the frame rate and go to 60 frames per second, how it's not as simple as that, how there is a lot of work that needs to be done there because in short, there's things on the game that end up breaking because it was really hard coded to run at 30 frames per second. But either way, it's really cool to see this patch being teased and shown for so long, seeing what Bloodborne can do, and now finally having it available and released. So a big thank you to Lance McDonald for that. I will say as well too, I honestly think that it would have been fine if there was at least an option, like, officially here. I think people would have been fine with an option to lower your resolution at the sake of increasing your frame rate. I think many people would have done that just fine. I've personally done it with games. I'm sure many people have done it on PC, maybe not even with resolution, but just turning down certain effects and such. But I kind of wish that this was an official thing that was available. It should also go without saying, based on what I've seen, here it looks like the PlayStation 4 Pro is absolutely going to benefit the most so if you have a jailbroken PlayStation 4 Pro you're in luck with this if you have a jailbroken PS4 or PS4 Slim you can still make use of this but you're not going to get up to that 60 frames per second uh, regularly or even at all from what people have reported so if you have one of those systems I mean you'll be able to run it at a native 720p here and you will still be able to go above the 30 frames per second cap uh, that's no doubt. However, you're not going to get up to the nice 60 frames that we're seeing right here. Now, this is not so much of a mod, it's more of a product, but just something I thought was really, really cool. So this is from 8-Bit Mods for the original PlayStation, and this is the MemCard Pro for PlayStation 1. Now, what exactly is the MemCard Pro? Uh, at a glance here, it just looks like one of those really crazy, you know, translucent, cool-looking uh, multiple memory cards that you might have gotten for the original PlayStation back in the day there were some really weird ones this actually looks like one i've seen where it's pretty much and i own one or two of them it's pretty much two memory cards in one where you plug it into the playstation it has a screen and it has a one on it and then if you press the button it it turns into a two and that's essentially your second memory card that's plugged in there so it looks a lot like that there were some really weird memory cards back then like there was quite literally one that was like as big as a small phone and if you put batteries in it you could record audio to it and play it back i'm not kidding that was that was a thing on the playstation but either way this is a new memory card for the original playstation now many people might be asking why the hell is this thing almost 70 dollars and let's take a look at this. Now just reading off the page here, the wait is over, no more piles of tiny memory cards for the PlayStation 1 with a mere 15 blocks on each card. Did you know that there are games that use a whole standard memory card for just one save? The MemCard Pro was designed and assembled by 8-bit mods, and it's a brand new offering for the PlayStation 1 that solves the problem of storing your saves. Now it states here it's using the latest components and powered with FPGA technology. The MemCard Pro offers an almost infinite amount of blocks for your PlayStation 1 from a single slot. An ESP32 module provides an incredible amount of power with a dual-core processor running at 240 MHz. So at this <laughs> the memory card's literally a computer at this point. <laughs> It can create virtual memory cards on a standard micro SD card, which we can see, I mean, you can see right here, like on the clear ones, you can actually see the micro SD card slot, and on the more dark one here, you could see a micro SD card plugged in. But either way, it's stating everything from one gigabyte to one terabyte works. 
And just to put that in perspective, I believe a 15 block memory card is something like 122 or 128 kilobytes, like the actual data there. So you're going from that to at minimum one gigabyte. That's just insane here. It even states each gigabyte of storage on your micro SD card equals to a whopping 8,192 memory cards. <laughs> Jeez. Now, apparently this thing also has Wi-Fi, so it says it can connect to your Wi-Fi network to provide extra cool features. At this moment, you can browse and control the memory cards on your micro SD card through an intuitive web user interface. It can also update its firmware over the internet or through the micro SD card slot. There's also a few optical drive emulators for the PlayStation 1. I only own the Sio, but there's also the recently released X-Station, and I believe the mode uh, from Terra Onion has also released a solution to which is kind of copying off of the X station, but it's essentially released a solution to adapt it from the Saturn or the Dreamcast over to the PlayStation 1. So technically it works on three systems. Either way, I have no doubt that this is going to work with the X station. The Sio, I really don't know of, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure the mode, there'll be something figured out there. But either way, I wanted to mention that because it's stating here that if you have a optical drive emulator, the MemCard Pro can seamlessly communicate with an ODE and automatically mount the memory card specifically for that game. If it's the first time you're running the game, it will automatically create eight virtual memory cards for that specific game and even show the game's name on the display. That's cool, but I'm wondering why it creates eight. That's interesting. So the cool thing is with this, you have like the coolest, most roided out memory card out there for the original PlayStation, something that we could have all dreamed of when we were just using 15 block memory cards. Of course, it is quite expensive. And that actually held me off on purchasing one. I kind of looked at it, and I'm like, this is really cool to mess around with. But I think I might wait for a sale or a price drop. And I'm just not using uh, my PlayStation one as often as I would need to, you know, go out and get a memory card like this. But the reason why I wanted to highlight this, not only it's really cool, but just when it's saying right here that it goes up to one terabyte, just think about it like this. In 2021, we're now at a point where the PlayStation 1, at least for saves, has more usable storage or can have more usable storage than the PlayStation 5. Like at this moment in time for the PlayStation 5, if you have games like actual games that are saved onto an external USB drive, they have to be copied or moved over to the internal SSD. The internal SSD it has like 667 gigabytes of usable storage, and the NVMe slot has still not yet been activated. So I think that's just like the delicious irony of it all as well, too. But regardless, this is a really cool product and item right here that I think is really cool to see. Getting back to some games here, we're going to be revisiting Grand Theft Auto 3 in the form of the RE3 GitHub repository from the GTA modding GitHub page. Now here, this is worth coming back to because at this point, uh, this just happened quite recently. Both Grand Theft Auto 3 and Grand Theft Auto Vice City have been fully reverse engineered. Yeah, I mean, it was a work in progress prior, and it's been going for several years at this point. I just learned about it a few months ago, but both of these games have now been fully reversed engineered, and let's just get into this here. So in this repository, you'll find the fully reversed source code for Grand Theft Auto 3 and Grand Theft Auto Vice City. 
It's been tested and works on Windows, Linux, and FreeBSD on x86, AMD64, ARM, and ARM64. Rendering is handled either by original renderware or the re-implementation libRW, and audio is done with MSS using DLLs from the original GTA or OpenAL. So these are all just using what's available here or the open source re-implementations. Now this project has also been ported to the Nintendo Switch, which I did a whole video about for Grand Theft Auto 3, PlayStation Vita, which I've talked about a bit prior and now, as well as Wii U, which I talked about, I believe, two episodes ago, I want to say. We cannot build for PlayStation 2 or Xbox yet. If you're interested in doing so, get in touch with us. Now, I do have to say up front here reading this, I am not a developer. I've said that several times before. However, I do absolutely respect these here because it's really cool seeing these projects come out. Uh, not only it's just, hey, we have the source code to this game, but no, this is actually extremely usable in terms of presentation preservation, in terms of modding, in terms of porting as well too. Just a few of the things that you can do, well, let's take a look at this for example. Let's say you do own Grand Theft Auto 3 on your PC, you purchase it through Steam, and you want to make use of RE3. Uh, what good does it do you? You've already paid for the game, you have it working. Well, let's look at these improvements here. Now that the source code has been reverse engineered, the game can be understood at a entirely different level than aside from just changing settings, changing INI files, making modifications and such. Uh, this can be changed at the source level. The improvements here are, for example, fixed a lot of small smaller and bigger bugs, user files are stored in the GTA root directory now, there's a different settings file that's being used, there's a debug menu, a debug camera, a rotatable camera, X input controller support, no loading screens between islands, skinned pedestrian support, and rendering here, so now there is widescreen support with a properly scaled HUD menu and field of view, PS2 matte FX for the vehicle reflections, PS2 alpha test for better rendering of transparency, PS2 particles, Xbox rend vehicle rendering, Xbox world light map rendering, it says it needs the Xbox map here, Xbox pedestrian rim light, Xbox screen rain droplets, and more customizable color filter. So the reason why the Xbox is being brought up here, I, I can at least say this for Grand Theft Auto 3, technically the Xbox build, the original Xbox build of Grand Theft Auto 3, I believe that was the last retail one to release. I'm not counting the re-releases of like PS2 classics or the mobile port, but it has textures and little, just little functionality and things like this, specifically the rain droplets that aren't available in other builds, like not even the PC build. And the textures there just look completely different and look quite good if you play the original Xbox version. So if you are wanting to, you can build this from source and experience it yourself, or you can download a pre-built copy and experience it yourself. If you're wanting to contribute at all, you're more than welcome to do that since this is completely open source. You can study the code, you can modify it if you'd like to, to get a better understanding of it. However, what if it can be pushed a little bit further? Now, probably in my opinion, my favorite example of this would be Super Mario 64, in which people were able to fully reverse engineer the game and then utilize the decomp project to take the ROM, decompile it to get the source code, and from there people were able to do things as small as recompiling the game with better optimization so it didn't slow down as much. They were able to really bring modding to a whole new level on here, and even, well, let's look at this. Of course this is quite known for its ports, this is available and ported to almost everything under the sun at this point. I kind of half joke around that Super Mario 
64 is the new Doom, in which Doom is just completely open and out there, and any device just tries to get it running, or people try and get Doom running on anything, and Super Mario 64 is kind of the new version of that, in a way. Either way, right here, people are able to make use of the Super Mario 64 decompilation project to obtain the source code to the game itself. They are then able to get it ported over to the PC, so this is not emulation, this is natively running on a PC, and then look at this, there is now a mod for this as well too. It says work in progress mod for the community made Super Mario 64 PC port, in which this is running at a level we cannot, we could not fathom before, but more importantly this is working properly with a RTX card, a RTX 3090, like this is Super Mario 64 running natively on PC with ray tracing. No emulation here, completely native. It is worth noting as well, talking about the history here, which I've highlighted before, but I'll bring in here as well too. The history says RE3 was started sometime in spring of 2018, initially as a way to test reversed collision and physics code inside the game. This is done by replacing single functions of the game with their reversed counterparts using a DLL. After a bit of work, the project lay dormant for about a year and was picked up again and pushed to GitHub in May 2019. At the time, I, AAP, had reversed around 10,000 lines of code and estimated the final game to have around 200 to 250,000. Others quickly joined the effort, and we made very quick progress throughout the summer of 2019 after which the pace slowed down a bit. Due to everyone staying at home during the start of the corona pandemic, everybody had a lot of time to work on RE3 again, and we finally got a standalone EXE in April 2020, around 180,000 lines by then. After the initial excitement and fixing and polishing the code further, REVC was started in early May 2020 by starting from RE3 code, not by starting from scratch replacing functions with a DLL. After a few months of mostly steady progress, we considered REVC finished in December. Since then, we have started RELCS, which is currently work in progress, and that is Liberty City Stories. So quickly touching up on this as well too, yes, there is a branch from the same RE3 project called the Miami branch, or REVC, and this is the exact same thing as before, a fully reverse-engineered copy of Grand Theft Auto Vice City. It looks like the improvements are about the same here as well too, although I will read off the to-do and even make a note of modding, so for the further to-do list here, they want to fix physics for high frames per second, improve performance on lower-end devices, especially the OpenGL layer on the Raspberry Pi. If you have experience with this, please get in touch, that would be cool to see. A PS2 port, an Xbox port where they say is not quite as important, reverse-engineered unused debug functions, and compare Code Warrior build with original binary for more accuracy code. That's that's very tedious. It is mentioned though, and this would be worth saying here because I had talked about modding aspects on this before, asset modification, so models, texture, handling, script, should work the same way as with original Grand Theft Auto for the most part. Mods that make changes to the code such as DLL slash ASI, CLEO, limit adjusters will not work. Some things these mods do are already implemented in RE3, much of Sky Graphics, G-Input, Silent Patch, Widescreen Fix, others can be achieved, increasing Lemmy's C config.h. Others will simply have to be rewritten and integrated into the code directly. Sorry for the convenience, don't worry about it. So this is incredibly cool, and I think it happened at just the right time here because, guess what? REVC ended up getting ported and released over to Vita. In short, that is now Grand Theft Auto Vice City 
working on the PlayStation Vita, natively ported and with quite a few improvements as well too. Just reading about here, REVC Vita is a port of REVC, a fully reverse-engineered re-implementation of Grand Theft Auto Vice City using LibRW, a full and open-source re-implementation of RenderWare Graphics Engine. Now, the downloads for this are available on VitaDB, so you can download the VPK itself, which you will need, and you can also download the data files. And one nice thing with setting this up compared to Grand Theft Auto 3 is that for Grand Theft Auto Vice City, you don't have to do a audio conversion or any of that stuff, so that does save you a few steps right there. I did notice, though, the installation, because I've already installed the both of these on my Vita. I've tried them out. They're awesome in terms of REVC and RE3, but the installation installation seems to be quite straightforward in which you copy and paste the PC's files into a GTA VC directory and then you install the VPK. Uh, I was kind of looking at this because there was one thing I noticed. With Grand Theft Auto 3 there's actually a plugin which is recommended to utilize which is FDFix and it states this from the flow it says this plugin fixes an issue in PS Vita homebrews where file descriptors are invalidated after suspend and resume. Now this is not mentioned in the installation notes for REVC. So I'm wondering if this has been resolved in REVC. I'm just not seeing it in the installation steps, but it's there for RE3. But either way, having this on your Vita certainly wouldn't hurt when you're playing the game. Now, this is still getting worked on right now, but at the moment, at least in 1.0, it is still in a great and playable state. So a big thank you, shout out, and congratulations to Rene Gatamante and The Flow for this port as well, too. They just keep coming with these ports. This is awesome. Now, there's one more game port I wanted to talk about in this episode, and this is for Super Mario 64 yet again. I thought this would be a fun and awesome thing here, but this is for the DSi of all systems. Uh, this is posted over on GBA Tiff by HiDrategon, I believe that's how I say that, and it states here, just reading off the post, yes, you read that right. This is a port of the original Super Mario 64 to the Nintendo DSi based on the open source re decompilation of the game. It originally started out as a joke idea that I didn't think would go very far, but once I actually got the game running on the DSi, I saw potential. The initial version was based on the PC port of the game, but that port is designed with modern hardware in mind, and the graphics abstraction layer is slow. I decided to scrap it and start from scratch, writing a new graphics interpreter designed to work directly with the DS hardware for maximum performance. The results were better than I expected. The game runs full speed in most cases, and the graphics don't look too bad either. Now, there are instructions for compiling it, your usage, and the issues that are noted here are that the game runs full speed for the most part, but there are slowdown in certain areas. There are also some minor graphical issues. Translating N64 graphics calls to the DS isn't an easy task, and while there are hacks in place to accommodate for most of what the game does, some issues might be unfixable. Audio is currently entirely unimplemented, but that's probably the next thing I'll work on. Now for DS support, the only thing stopping this from working on the original DS is the lack of RAM. Right now the entire game is loaded into memory on boot, and it's simply too big to fit in the 4 megabytes that the DS has to offer. Eventually I'd like to load in assets dynamically with Nitro FS, but this will require hacking up how the game loads things. Performance would also of course be worse on the DS, but not much can be done about that. So there is just an image right here of this running on a DSi, as well as screenshots of the game from a emulator that was running. And I mean, it looks great. This is Super Mario 64 on a DSi. 
<laughs> you love to see it. Now for our very last topic here, if I can remember and if I try, I like to get a topic which is related to modding in a way, but might be interesting to people, but which is also just kind of funny or cool or even both as well too. And this is actually an article from Wololo about beware of third-party ring con for ring fit adventure. And I just wanted to share this with you all because I don't want to spoil all too much. It is a really great read. I personally own Ring Fit Adventure. I love it. I've actually, almost a year ago at this point, I canceled my gym membership just so I can stay at home and use Ring Fit in, in lieu of that and just for safety reasons. However, this thing, this game is no joke. This will really kick your ass right here, and it is a great workout. Like, do not doubt this game. However, there are a few things for it in which this game is only available physically. It requires a ring fit device, which is this huge ring that you're seeing right here, and it requires the game software. And the software is only available physically. You cannot redeem it online. You cannot get a download of it, at least legitimately. You have to have the physical cartridge as well as the ring fit for this. Now, the actual ring fit device seems to be pretty simple, so a lot of third parties ended up making alternatives to this because apparently, according to this, you cannot get your own ring fit. If you want to replace one, you cannot get it brand new unless you're purchasing one in Japan, but if you're in the US or Europe, for example, you would have to go through a third party seller or just buy one used. However, it does warn about the use of third party ring fits because I just wanted to show you all this. <laughs> this is the uh this is the cursed third-party ring fit, and it looks pretty damn close, but apparently, I mean, they talk about their experience with it. The Guardian is who wrote this. They talk about their experience with it and how it didn't feel as nice and, you know, it just didn't seem as sturdy because you see this right here after about, this is a month of use, and this is supposed to be a ring, a circular object, but this is about a month of use, and this is the original one right here, which you see looks fine for the most part. But I just found this absolutely hilarious because this is... <laughs> This is the cursed ring fit. In short, what the Guardian is saying here is do not even attempt to go for that third-party ring fit accessory. Just get the legitimate game and get the legitimate accessory right here. It is worth it. I can back that up as well, too. I've never even tried one of these third-party ones, but I certainly don't want to now. <laughs> and there we go. That is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. So I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all learned something. I hope it helped out. If you did like it, a like would absolutely be appreciated if you're checking this out on YouTube. And if you didn't like it, a dislike is fine as well too. But at the end of these episodes, I try and pick a keyword so that you can use it in the comment section of the YouTube upload. And that way you will be able to announce secretly maybe to the people who haven't gotten to the end that you made it to the end of this episode. And if you use this word or phrase or whatever it is here, I will know that you made it to the end. So, you know, in, in lieu of the final topic, uh, let's use ring. How about that? If you use the word ring, if you love ring fit, if you hate ring fit, if you got a ring stuck on your finger, if you're needing help removing that, well, this is not the place to ask about that. But if you use the word ring in your comment on the YouTube upload, I will know that you made it to the end of this video. Anyways, that is about it for this. Anyways, that's about it for this episode yet again. This is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching everyone. And until next time.